the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Sage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. Today, folks, we're going to talk about some more best business books, regular feature in our lineup, Ed. I've been looking forward to this. We haven't done this in a while. No, it's been a couple months, so yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, so, hey, we've been uh, doing some traveling, you more than me, I think, but uh, you just got back from London. What were you doing? I did, yes. I got back yesterday. In fact, I was on the ground, Ron, for 30 hours in London, <laughs> three of which was spent in transporting myself to and from Heathrow because sure. I, I, know you, I know you've been there, but for the benefit of our listeners who haven't, haven't been, let's just say that London was clearly not built for cars, cars. in any way. So true. And it's it was just, just not fun. In fact, uh, it, it was, like I said, an hour and a half each way, and I, and I really wasn't in a car for the first part. I did take the, I don't know if it's considered the two, but it's the Heathrow Express, which brings you from Heathrow nice. to Piccadilly Square or Circus or whatever it is. And then I took a cab from there, and it was still like an hour and a half. And it was just, man... But, uh, yeah, I think I've recovered pretty quickly because I was only on the ground for 30 hours. So I, I think the jet lag didn't, didn't quite happen. I think I caught the jet lag on the way back. I've, you know, I've, I've caught up with it. So <laughs> I always find it harder adjusting as when I come back rather than when I go for some odd reason. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I was, I was speaking at the Accountex show over there and did a session on strategy and what was really cool about it was that they did a full video of it, and oh, cool. I've yep. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll put it up on my personal website, but maybe I'll, maybe just in the show notes of this show since we've mentioned it, I'll stick it down at the bottom in case anybody is interested. It's a it's a full hour. I mean, it's a long it's a long thing, but it's uh, you know a little bit of seven S model, which is something we haven't talked about in a while, but. Uh, and a lot on strategy. Got to talk about Jules Goddard and say they should all seek him out, so seeing as he's at London Business School. So good stuff. It was fun. Excellent, excellent. And then, and then, uh, then the you... week before we were together, right? We were the week before we were together at PPS. So why don't you tell, yeah. tell our audience a little bit about that? We were at the 27th annual, I believe, sp their spring conference, which was in Chicago. And uh, Ed and I did a pre-conference workshop for two days. Had some interesting people. Uh, it's mostly Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. I think we had the 
one of the pricers from the Michelin Group there, um, and and other large companies. And of course, Ed Rory Sutherland did the uh, keynote again, nice. which is where I met him a couple years in Chicago, and uh, I did get a chance to talk to him uh, a little bit, not as much as last time, but. Uh, he he uh, he will be back on the show, so we will we will definitely get Rory back, and we're also going to get some other pricers that were there as well. Um, Tim Smith, who wrote a great uh, book on pricing and is a regular faculty member uh, for Professional Pricing Society, is going to come on as well as Mark Burton, who used to be Reed Holden's uh, partner, and now he's with of all entities KPMG. So. He's agreed to come Good. on the show. Good. We'll have so, to ask him if he fills out a timesheet. Yeah, I did, and he does. Oh, you did? You did already? He does? And he does. <laughs> <laughs> now, he kind, of, he kind of dismissed it, saying they don't really look at it when you're a, a partner in the consulting side of the firm, uh, yep. as they do when you're you know, in audit tax, whatever. But uh, I still have big issues with that. But anyway. <laughs> we can well, harass Mark when he comes yeah, on. Yeah, in fact, he still has to fill one out as hysterical. It, it is. It is. Maybe he's. Maybe he doesn't do it, or maybe he just puts in eight hours a day on it. You know, who knows? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I've got some books here, but what? Um, if you've got a short one, you should start because I've got one that's going to be fairly long. No, I, my mine's pretty long, <laughs> so. So go ahead, go ahead, pick one. Go ahead. Well, and okay. if we go over segment, that's fine too. Okay, good enough. Uh, now we met uh, Herman Simon uh, in Dallas last year when I was the keynote presenter at the Professional Pricing Society then, and his book "Confessions of the Pricing Man: How Price Affects Everything" uh, came out last year, and and I really liked it. Ed, I have to say, it was um, I really really liked it. It's, uh, Herman Simon is the founding partner of Simon Kucher and Partners, which was founded in 1985. And now they have 30 offices in all major countries uh, with revenue in excess of $250 million. They're one of the leading and um, you know global leaders in price consulting, no doubt about it. Okay. And so this, uh, this book, he was university trained, University of Chicago trained economist, so very quantitative, right? <laughs> Melton Friedman, another economist that we've talked about from there. Um, but he met Philip Kotler early on. He met Thomas Nagel, which we've talked about before. Uh, Marvin Bauer of McKinsey. And he uh, also met Peter Drucker. Um, but he figured out pretty early, he's always been fascinated with price, but he figured out that, yeah, it's subjective, and cool. that's that's what I really appreciated about him. He, he completely understands, even though he never labels it, he never talks about the Austrians, uh, economists. But he does he does say that um, you know all value is subjective, and he thinks that's why uh, you know what that's what levels the playing field between buyers and sellers is value. The fact that customer satisfaction is is the only long term way to maximize profits and he, he takes on the ethical issues a little bit like should a drug company charge a higher price uh, for drugs in richer countries than in poor ones and I you know although he doesn't get into it I did in my book and said absolutely 
because mm-hmm. that, that, that's, there's massive welfare effects from that. But there's several things in the book that I really liked. One, it's, it's very conversational, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy read, but right. there's lots of very interesting case studies. He, got, uh, he wrote a book uh, earlier uh, and he, uh, where he talked about profit, profit management rather than market management, and that's always, that's always been his theme. You know, he's, he's like us. He doesn't think market share is the be-all, end-all. And Peter Drucker actually said to him, I'm impressed by your emphasis on pricing. Um, he said that it's the most neglected area of marketing, and um, which I which I absolutely love. And then um, he also talks about there 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 is only there is always one right price or price structure and a multitude of wrong ones. Now I'm not sure about the right price, but the price structure. I think that's a really good point. I, I've come to realize, Ed, this is, and this kind of dawned on me at PPS, that how you price is probably more important than your price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yep. know, the, the monetization model that you pick, the way you present options, framing, anchoring, all the psychological aspects, you know, that we talk about. And he deals with those, and he does a really good job. You know, he quotes the Russian proverb, in every market there are two kinds of fools. One charges too much, the other charges too little. <laughs> he also right. talks a uh, uh, bow to your dad. He talks about the Latin word, what is it, uh, pretium? Mm-hmm. Pretium, which means both price and value. So literally mm. speaking, price and value are one and the same. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that, and there are obviously some other things um, that I disagreed with, but one of the things that I really liked is he, he gave lots of different case studies from all around the world, not just you know U.S. centric. And he talked about the 2012 Olympic Games pricing model, where they had the standard price was 20 pounds, 12 12 pence, right? 2012. They were being clever, mm, and the it, most got ex- got the most expensive was 2012 pounds. And then for kids below six, they paid their age between one and six. They made them pay their age. Um, So if you were six years old, you were paying six pounds. um, Or actually, I think up up to 18. Sorry, up to 18 years, you paid your age. Um, And and they they didn't offer discounts. They didn't do dynamic pricing, you know. So if an event wasn't selling out, they didn't lower the price. And they didn't do any bundling. They didn't do any bundling, which was really interesting, except maybe at that 2012-pound price, there was probably a bundle there. Uh, right. But they did bundle um, uh, public transportation, which I thought was pretty clever, right? You can take the tube to, to the event or whatever it was. Uh, so he, he talks a little bit about that. And the other thing he talks about is premium pricing strategies, and he lays out some frameworks for that got to have superior value you've got to innovate and all of that uh and he also talks about one of the papers that i think jules goddard cited you know better before cheaper and revenue before cost he, he really does look at um profitability rather than market share and his company simon kuchar partners does all these surveys of global enterprises of, uh, across countries and they've been looking at profit margins uh, for different companies in 22 different countries. And interestingly enough, in the middle of the pack is U.S. companies with an average profit margin of 6.2%, 
Germany is at 4.2. Japanese has always been the laggard, 2%. Uh, the average across all countries was 6%. Uh, so I, I found that kind of interesting. And he talks about Porsche having, uh, you know, an attitude of pricing and where Simon or Herman says pricing needs to be on the CEO's desk or at least, you know, oversees it. So the director of pricing reports to the CEO. He's a he's kind of a big believer in that. Um, and he he contrasts General Motors approach to pricing with that of uh, Porsche. So, for instance, uh, the CEO of General Motors said, well, our fixed costs are extremely high, right? So, in a crisis, it's better to, to sell with lower prices than reducing our volume. Whereas Porsche says, we have a policy of keeping prices stable to protect our brand and to prevent a drop in prices for used cars. Uh, we always want to produce one car less than the market demands. So, just a completely different attitude between you know, market share and, and profitability and brand integrity, price integrity. He talks about all of these things. He also talks about some interesting studies, you know, Michelin, and we could have asked the guy in our, in our workshop about this, but Michelin uh, went to pay per mile on their truck tires. So you actually pay for miles driven, not owning the rubber, which has been an extremely effective pricing uh, you know, monetization model for them. And also Durer, which is one of the market leaders in automotive paint, has a model where they charge the automobile company for every car painted rather than selling them paint. So it's kind of like General Electric's idea of power by the hour where you sell to keep the uh, airplane engines running. You, you charge by the hour. That is maybe one case where hourly pricing makes sense because airlines, of course, want the want the engines to fly. That's really what they're paying for. That's the value proposition. Um, so uh, the other things, I mean, I could bring up some other things they talked about, but that was, that was really it. Again, the book is um, Confessions of the Pricing Man, which is a takeoff of David Ogilvy, who he seems to admire as well. He quotes him several times. Um, Confessions of the Pricing Man, How Price Affects Everything by Herman. That's with two ends, Simon. And uh, I'll, I'll post, post some excerpts on the show notes. But I, I really enjoyed the book. I highly recommend it. It's a great pricing book. Yeah, thanks. I, I will definitely uh, take a look. I had not read that, Ron. So that's this one maybe maybe uh, going to the top of my stack on a relatively short order. I know we we had talked a little bit about it, and I had the chance to to meet him last year as well. So good stuff. Maybe we can get him on the show to discuss the book. That would be even better. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Um, one interesting thing is uh, that I and I didn't realize this. Airline Samoa <laughs> has they charge passengers according to their body weight. <laughs> Nice. Why should the transport of freight be charged by weight, but not humans? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty entertaining. But uh, yeah. anyway, folks, we need to uh, take a break. And we'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at uh, asktsoe at verisage.com. And also you can follow the show live and give us recommendations on your favorite business book on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE. And a couple of you already have done that. and We will read those off uh, sometime during the show. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back, Ron. And I've got a couple of comments that I want to make on your book. But before I do, I just want to remind everybody that we do now have a live events page out on our our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, and it's slash live hyphen events. And you can just get to it by clicking at the top, so you just go to the Soul of Enterprise. But we've got a couple things coming up. Ron, you're talking in New York City next week and at the uh, the Mirren Live New York show. That's a closed event, though, right? That's the, only you. you get, or, no, it is open to the public. It is for oh, advertising. Oh, it is open to the public. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, it's Good. for advertising agencies. And it's an annual event. So, And Tim Williams, okay. our colleague, has spoken there several times. Yep. And then I am doing some uh, a, a session in Chicago where I'm going to do the, the trading game, Ron, a show. We, you know, we talked about the trading game. We did an entire show on it, but I'm going to do, be doing a session on that also on the 18th of May. And then on the 27th of May, I'm sorry, 26th of May, I am doing a session on the future of the accounting profession in Edmonton. So if you have have any Canadian friends out there who want to come see us, we'd love to have you do that. And uh, I'm also going to be back out at the California Accounting Show on June 1st doing my Asking Effective Questions session. So I'm pretty excited about those. Oh, excellent. And Ed, you have a webinar coming up, too. Monday I saw on CPA Academy. I right? do, and you know what? That is not on our website, but yes, I'm doing a, a webcast on that. I believe that's the the on uh, strategic pricing, the fundamentals of strategic pricing. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'd be happy to give them the the link and information. That's a free event too. Web uh, CPA Academy does not charge for the CPE, so you can right. your accountant and want to charge wanna, the speaker. That's right, they charge the speakers. Pretty interesting. So, hey, just quickly on on this, I you know, one of the you, you mentioned your your a uh, 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 small epiphany of sorts at that at PPS or regarding a price, and you know, one of the things that that I think became more clear to me too in talking with the folks who were in our class is that pricing itself 
can create value. Absolutely. Yes. And and we've talked about that before, but, right. but it's really, it's not so much the price. It, well, it can be, it can be the perception and the snob effect, all of those types of things, but just the framing, I think the, the psychological aspects I think are the important thing. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's, and that, and that's my point is that it's not price, but pricing can create value, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. And so you, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go. Well, I was just going to say in 2012, the Simon Kucher group did a, did a study, 2,700 managers in over 50 countries with a large array of different industries. And they found that when there was strong CEO involvement uh, in pricing, pricing power was 35% higher the success rate for implementing price increases was 18% higher, and 26% of those companies had higher margins. Um, and 30% of the most successful had special pricing department. So there's no doubt. We always talk about C-suite, you know, uh, commitment to pricing and, and how it starts from the top, and, and this book really drives that home. I, I do have to say there there is one area, a couple areas I disagree, but one is major. The others are a little quibblings, but this one is major. Herman says, tighter antitrust regulation contributes to better price competition. And I think that is completely backwards. Uh, I think the uh, empirical evidence is overwhelming that antitrust just uh, messes things up, distorts the market, has all sorts of perverse effects. And I think the scholarship is pretty airtight on that. But that, that surprised me, actually, that he thought that, given some of his other views. Well, you know, I, it probably pre- prevents somewhat in his mind, you know, price gouging, but the overall effect on pricing is clearly disastrous of regulation. I, you know, there's, I, I believe in some states, and I think Texas is one of them, because I remember talking with somebody about this a couple of years ago, that remember when, when gas prices were coming down, yep. right? That some some of the that so that the prices could not come down more than a certain percentage. It was illegal for for a state for a, a particular service station gas station to lower its price by more than X percent one week to the next. Yeah, yeah. So it actually took longer for prices to to benefit the consumer, and therefore you know companies oil those evil oil companies Ron making up making higher profits. Because of government regulation that was probably intended to keep out, uh, you know, a price war. Right, right. Now, there's so many distortive effects uh, of antitrust. It's just ludicrous to think that they're, they're, you know, oiling the the wheels of commerce. (laughs) We should do a whole show on that, but... Yeah, more like more like throwing sand into the wheels of commerce, but that's beside Absolutely. the point. And then just an honorary uh, mention on this because I did pick this up at PPS as well. One of Herman Simon's partners, uh, a couple of his partners actually, Matt Haven, uh, Ramon Jum, uh, uh, and George Taki, who I got to meet, he was one of the keynotes, uh, just came out with a book called Monetizing Innovation: How Smart mm-hmm. Companies Design the Product Around the Price. And I have to say, I, I, I finished reading it, and it's really good. Um, they, they claim that 72% of new products and services miss their revenue or profit goals, and that it doesn't have to be this way. And they lay out an entire model about how you can build actually new innovation. They're talking about new innovation, new products and services around the price. 
uh, you start with customer value and work backwards, as, as we always like to preach, but they actually lay out a model. Now, I'm not completely convinced <laughs> that you're going to be able to reduce that 72%. They seem to think it would. Um, I'm not sure it would, but uh, I, I think it's definitely worth looking into, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a good book. Again, lots of different case studies from around the world, so I found that interesting as well. I just I just like the title. I think that's a that's a great title for the, the well the subtitle actually it, it, starting with the price, you know. Right, and and they do talk about Porsche and and Sorovarsky and and some other outfits that really are fanatical about going out to the customer and and listening, and they, and they poke some holes in some of the myths, like well, you know, how can you price something that the customer doesn't know they want, and they they try and deal with that. I'm not convinced of that part of it. I kind mm-hmm. of stand with jobs that customers don't innovate; they iterate. Um, mm-hmm. But they think and try and prove that there's ways to do it. Uh, so it's it's a very thought provoking read, and it certainly ties in with with uh, Herman Simon's book. So I I found both of those quite enjoyable. Great. Well, Ron, the the next book, the book that I want to talk about under my best business books is a book that I know that is on the well, the, the the top of your list in a lot of a lot of cases, and that is Gary Hamill's book, The Future of Management. Yep. And you know, uh, just just to to start out, I want to just give this as the basis the. The, the concept that Hamill presents in this book is just a fascinating one. The, the first, he talks about this thing called the innovation stack, and he talks about the four different levels of innovation. The first one and lowest level, so imagine a pyramid here, the base one being the operational innovation. So innovations around different operations within the business. Then, of course, the next one up is probably the one that we often think most about when we think innovation, and that is innovation around products and services. And I think that's what most people are usually thinking when they're thinking of innovation. They're thinking of some kind of technology. Then the next highest level is strategic innovation. And strategic in- innovation is is really it's 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 I guess that would be in the same level as what we've talked about from a from a a, a change to the business model. Yes, right? absolutely. But then finally, at the very top of the pyramid, Ron, he talks about management innovation. And he talks about how how so few companies actually innovate are around the concept of management itself, and and he says very simply the reason for this is is that it, management was in, invented to just preserve the status quo and preserve efficiency. So that so it was almost by definition. Um, in, invented not to do that, but that when you do innovate around management, it's it's a really big deal. It's a huge deal. It is. And what I really love about this book is all throughout he has series of questions that you know, and you know how how much I love questions, right? And I had forgotten so, how good some of these are. So just taking you through. You know, it, 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 here's here's some questions he thinks that that people or organizations should ask themselves. What's the quote tomorrow problem end quote that you need to start working on right now? I love the way that's phrased. Right, I like this one too. What's the frustrating either or that you'd like to turn into an and? I really like the way that that question is phrased because we hear about that all of the time. These either or problems and ands and all that stuff, and I get that. And there, there are clearly some that are there, but just to do thinking around what is the one that you would like to try to turn into an and? That's a really good question. Um, next one on in this section is what is the espoused idea that you'd like to turn to an embedded capability? 
And man, that's that 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 could just go. That meeting could go on for days. I was Good. just think, thinking about that one. Right? What's the espoused ideal that you'd like to turn into an an, an embedded capability? And then the last thing, what's the can't do that needs to become a can do? And I, I, again, I just really like the way he phrases some of these questions uh, in the book. So uh, anyway, thoughts on that before I move on to the next thing that I want to talk about in this book, because I think there's some pretty cool things in here that I want to discuss. Well, no, only that I go to that book all the time, <laughs> constantly <laughs> referring to it. And what I love is he lists out all the management ideas and the date back to 1880 up to like the latest is like 1950, right? Capital mm-hmm. budgeting has an entire list. And there hasn't been anything new since like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Now, now we could add row, right? Results only work environment. There's some things we could add. Right. I think ARs need to be added there. But these things are relatively new and they have not diffused. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that. I think he's absolutely right that management like, is like the combustion engine. There has been no, no great leaps forward for 50 or 100 years. It's kind of crazy. Yep. Yep. No, I to- totally agree. And, and I know for a fact, based on, on uh, some of the reading in this book, that he agrees with us on the efficiency versus effectiveness debate. Here's a, here's, here's a quote from him on this under the chapter or the subchapter title is no slack if you wring all of the slack out of a company you've wrung out all the innovation as well i think that's extraordinarily profound yep absolutely yeah no he what's his tagline on the video on amazon that he has it just introducing the book he says something like our our organizations are much less human than you know the people that work in them yep and then our and, people and, yeah, and he's blaming it on these outdated uh, structures, these management ideas that, that are endemic and that, that were built for an industrial era economy. And like you said, to wring efficiency out. And that's not what knowledge work is. I mean, Peter Drucker says the same thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I love that book. It is definitely, that's in my top dozen, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two more quick things and we'll, we'll go a little bit over and then go to a break and we'll, we'll come back. So that way I can finish this book up. But it's only two quick things that I wanted to share again with this book. And he does go on to then share stories of different companies. And of course, the usual suspect or some of the usual suspects are here. Google is here and then uh, Gore-Tex. Right. And then one of them at, at, at uh, I'm not at Google. Uh, W.L. Gore, which is where Gore-Tex comes from, is talking about how they create entrepreneurialism inside the organization by creating everything as a as a project. And the way that it works is, is if you want to if you want to do something, you can do it, but you have to enroll people in your ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to go get them, and they have to sign on. And as one engineer puts it, says if you can't find enough people to work on your project, maybe it's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's how they make it very democratic. And then later on, and I really like this, and I've, I do talk about this in my project management uh, class. They, the, the in, in at Gore, task can't be assigned; they can only be accepted. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in other words, somebody somebody has to share them out. You and then you, as a as a uh, as the person willing to do it, have to accept the task. Otherwise, you move on. Right. Otherwise, you move on. And, uh, you know, I think that that's that's really great. And then the last thing I want to mention, we'll go to this is and this is at the end of the book uh, where he's talking about the World Wide Web. And this is uh, uh, 
to quote from the book, the world, the web has evolved faster than anything human beings have ever created, largely because it is not a hierarchy. And then he quotes Dan uh, Weinberger, who said, our biggest joint undertaken as a species, meaning the Internet, is working out splendidly only because we forgot to apply the theory that has guided us ever since the pyramids were built. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's excellent. Love it. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think that that, that is just, just outstanding. You know, maybe, maybe we need a little bit more disorganization in our lives. I've, I've, been, I've been planning a, 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 a blog post for, for some time now, Ron, uh, thriving, thriving on interruption. Yep. You know, it, and, and, I, and I really think that if you give in to the interruption in your life, it, it might actually be a good thing in the long run. I, I, I know there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that, but I, I think I think thriving on interruption is has got some got some merit to it. Sure, sure, serendipity and all of that. Yep, yep. Anyway, well, that, we are a little bit over, but I want to jump to a break here. I want to remind you that you can visit us thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have all show notes uh, as well as previews for upcoming shows. And also, and also those live events that I mentioned earlier, of course, asktsoe at verisage.com to email us. And, of course, you can tweet us at asktsoe as well. But right now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing best business books, just getting lost here and uh, with time, but uh, this is just great. And we'd like to thank a couple people that tweeted in, a couple listeners. Caleb Jenkins has recommended It's Not Your Business 
by Gary Miller, and it does look interesting. I went to Amazon, read uh, read the reviews on it, and looked at uh, the premise of it, and it, it it does look interesting. It's got a kind of a religious bent to it, but uh, I thank you for that, Caleb, and also to uh, our listener Lowry. He he actually Ed recommended quite a few business books: uh, Effective Apology by John Kadar, and uh, The Business Belief by Tom Askeder. Askeder, I think, The Prime Solution by Jeff Thole, and of course, Infinite Possibility by Joe Pine, who, mm. who we had a chance to interview, and we talked to him a little bit about that. That's the one about the whole you know, spectrum of uh, virtual reality and reality. Oh, the multiverse or whatever multiverse. it was? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so I still, my head is, I, I'm still not recovered from that show. Yeah, yeah. That I'm, I haven't recovered from the book, but thank you for that, Lowry, and thank you guys. And I also wanted to deal with, uh, with this as well. We got a great tweet from Landon, and uh, Landon Lovell, and he said, uh, did you guys see this? Features the negative income tax, maybe discuss on a free rider. And Eddie sent us an article, or a link to an article, about the basic income, a check for everybody. And now sometimes this is called universal basic income, and it, I can't tell you, every book I read on artificial intelligence, robotics, deep learning, machine learning, you name it, anything about the future, blockchain, uh, Bitcoin, they, th- this issue pops up because mm-hmm. people are going to lose jobs. What are we going to do? Well, maybe we need to give everybody a basic income. So, Landon, we're not going to talk about this on Free Rider Friday. We're going to devote a whole show to it. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a look at your article and some other sources as well. So, um, I'm not sure when. But stay tuned because we will definitely do that probably within the next couple months, I would think, because I know it's an enormous topic. It is an enormous topic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for that suggestion, Landon. Great idea. So, Ed, I'll let you go because the one I have is is enormously long. <laughs> so I'll let you go again. <laughs> <laughs> enormously long. In other words, you've got a rant coming up. Is that the deal? Well, yeah, sort of. <clears throat> All right. So my, my and, and this is folks, this is I, I know Ron reads a ton of books, like 50 to 100 a year at, at a clip usually. Uh, and I know he hasn't read this because it's just not in his wheelhouse. And this is a tiny little book that was given to me as a Christmas present a number of years ago. And it's called Sterling's Gold. And the the author is Roger Sterling. Do you know who Roger Sterling is? No. Ron? Not, not, no. Never heard of them, right? Yeah, because you never watched Mad Men like I've asked you to. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Roger yep. Sterling is a, is a character on Mad Men, right? Okay. Okay. So, so what this book is, is is just a little book of his pithy little quips that he's had uh, all during the show, right? Yes, yes, gotcha. So, so a couple of things in here. So one, the first one is on uh, this section is on advertising. And this is one. This is a Roger Sterling quote. I'll tell you what's brilliance in advertising. 99 cents. Somebody thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, this one. And I think this is, you know, this is why so, so many uh, people like the show because Sterling was really onto something here. I don't know if anybody ever told you that half of the time this business comes down to I don't like that guy. <laughs> right? And then, all right, so that's just some other things here. And I think this is very true. He Now, remember, they're running an advertising firm, right, Ron? Yep. So this is what he says. He, he says, the clients with the best or the ones, I'm sorry, the ones with the best products make the worst clients. Because <laughs> why? 
Because they don't need their help as much, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> now, here's one that's right up your wheel, wheelhouse, right? He was, he was talking about, about why, why they got fired from this one account. And he says, it probably didn't help that our billings crept up for no apparent reason. Eventually, an accountant is going to read the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then, uh, okay, and, and here's a classic one. This is under the heading of Roger, Roger Sterling was ahead of his time from, a, from you know, one of my favorite words that I've talked about a number of times on the show, sprezzatura, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm being punished for making my job look easy. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, that's what the billable hour does. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Here's some more wit and wisdom from Roger Sterling. Big talent attracts big clients, which I think is very true, especially, you know, in the knowledge economy, right? Yep. Um, this is a quote on drinking, on drinking. And <laughs> it's 4.30? Ah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the, some of the all-time classics um, uh, the, the, that if, if you're ready, I love this. They were in a meeting, right, where they're talking about all of the, 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 the accounts that they're going through. This is the classic meeting where they would just sit around and talk about one customer the next. And he says, if we can switch to the conversation about paying clients, <laughs> right? And this is perhaps the, the, one of the all-time, the all-time bests right here. And classic Roger Sterling, he said, I told him to be himself. That was pretty mean, I guess. <laughs> Sterling's so, gold. Anyway, I love it. Sterling's gold. And here's the, here's the last one. This is a quote. This is probably one of the few quotes that I can actually read that is in relationship to women because you, Roger Sterling has uh, some stuff that really, you know, can't, can't, be, can't be said on, right. on the radio show, but gotcha. he's talking about his, his, his wife, Mona. And he says, Mona had a dream once where I hit, hit the dog with a car. She was mad at me all day and I never hit the dog. We don't even have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Ster- Sterling's gold. And what we will do. Oh, sorry. I should say, I did want to mention the last one. Um, and cause I think this is very true. Believe me somewhere in this business, this has happened before. So, uh, I, I also found I also found a, a, a YouTube link that we'll put up on the show of, of just some some of his one-liners, including some of the ones that I talked about today. But uh, you can see the great John Slattery, who's the actor who portrays Roger Sterling, deliver them much better than I did. But uh, I figured you'd get a kick out of that, Ron. Kind of a no, fun thing. For that's great, and it made me think, Ed, because I worked with an advertising agency, and I'm in the halls and even in the bathroom. Do you watch Parks and Recreation? Is it? I do. I've seen some episodes. Okay, there's uh, a character on there. A big fan. Yeah, Ron. Who the, the Ron is the, the libertarian. Libertarian. Yep. And they yep. had all throughout their offices. They had quotes from this guy. Yeah. And it, they were absolutely profound. Yeah. <laughs> and and funny, but I mean, yep. I mean, mentally, intellectually profound. You mm-hmm. you really had to sit there and go, whoa, that's a really good point. You know, so, mm-hmm. on some of them. And that's yep. what that's what uh, your Sterling's gold made me think of. So that that yeah. that's awesome. I also just wanted to point out that on the future of the management, the book that you brought up in the last segment by Gary yep. Hamill, he does kind of have a sequel out called "What Matters Now," and it is kind of taking his ideas from the future of management kind of to the next level. 
And he also has got some very interesting profiles of companies in there, just besides the, the Gore-Tex and the Google. He, he, uh, he found some other ones to, to profile. So I, I found that really helpful as well. Cool. Awesome. So, but folks, now we want to uh, take a break and uh, I'd like to remind you, you can contact us at asktsoe at verisage.com and we will have full show notes, show notes up at thesoulofenterprise.com. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing best business books. And Ed, my last book is called Drucker's Lost Art of Management. And it's Peter Drucker's timeless vision for building effective organizations. Notice that's not efficient organizations. Mm. <laughs> uh, by Joseph Massarello, who is a Drucker scholar. I mean, he's written many books, uh, including with Peter Drucker. In fact, I think they wrote uh, Peter Drucker's last book together, uh, an update of the effective executive. Uh, and he's a professor of management. And, and Karen E. Linkletter, who is a historian. The premise this 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 is not a this is not your typical business book. This is this is trying to distill what Drucker meant by calling management a liberal art. And he linked okay. it to the humanities. He said management is a practice rather than a science or a profession. You know, there's a whole movement to make management a profession, which I think yeah. is a complete joke. Um, and, and Drucker didn't think it was a profession or a science. He thought it was a practice. Um, and he, and he linked it to the liberal arts, the humanities, and he called himself a social ecologist. Now, what's a social ecologist do? Well, supposedly, they create and maintain a society of functioning organizations. They, anticip they anticipate discontinuities and provide for both continuity and change. And Drucker believed that management's only hope to be a moral force for right and good is to ally itself with the liberal arts. 
And the early business schools recognized this because they required some liberal arts education. You couldn't just go into management. And that's clearly not the case today, right? And so this mm -hmm. book is framed around, and it, it kind of explores all of Drucker's writing uh, on this. And it's framed, uh, uh, how do we put management into, uh, into a liberal art, right? How do we put that into practice? And there's four main topics, federalism. Drucker thought, you know, the Federalist Papers was the USA's lasting contribution to Western thought. And the human dimension, where he looked at natural rights theories and dignity of man. And, and this is where his idea of ethics came in and, uh, you know, the, the concept of do no harm. He also looked at leadership. And he, he has a pretty interesting definition of leadership, assuming responsibility for getting the right things done. Um, he also believed that integrity was the essence of leadership and also succession to the that if leaders weren't grooming their successors, they were failing as leaders. And then he, and then he looked at social ecology, and that's kind of the four pillars that the book is is uh, built around. But you know, there was a great study done in 1959 by the Ford and Carnegie Foundations, uh, and they issued a report called "Higher Education for Business," and it concluded that business education lacked any cohesive curriculum failed to instill a sense of professionalism and accountability and suffered a serious absence of academic quality and content. And I have to say, I, you know, between this book and Drucker's other writings and also Matthew Stewart's book, The Myth of Management, that I know you read and we both yeah. really love, you know, I really do believe we should seriously consider folding up business schools and putting them back to where they belong in the humanities. Because I'm not sure they're contributing anything at this point. Um, they're not teaching people how to think. It's more of a hand stamp process where, yeah, you took that course, you took that course, you took that course. Uh, but they're not really giving you that grounding and truth and wisdom and how to think. Um, you know, because one of the things that I loved is the definition of liberal education, which in, it tries to instill standards of conduct and character, knowledge, mastery of a body of of texts, right, that we should still be reading, and a respect for societal values and standards and an appreciation of knowledge and truth. And it's hard to define a liberal education, but you can define it by what it's not, vocational training. Mm -hmm. And the argument is that business schools have become vocational training. The scales of the pendulum has swung too far in that direction. And, and I think that's a really valid criticism. And so I, I really enjoyed this book for that. Now, it's a deep book, and it really gets into the philosophical side of Peter Drucker. But I really liked it because it explored his whole body of work, including the thinkers who influenced him. And so I really appreciated it on that level. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, my, my degree, Ron, I don't know if you're aware of this, is, that, is actually in liberal studies. And I went to a business, what is considered to be a business college, Pace University. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was a bit of a challenge to to convince my my advisor at the time to allow me to not specialize, right? Right. Because um, originally I went in, you know, wanting a like a, a computer science degree or something like that, and then I, you know I just found that I, w I was much more interested in in other other disciplines that and, and wanted to take other classes that I wanted to learn more about. You know, I, I took a great 
Irish history class and a great Irish literature class and also developed my love for the theater as well. And so I actually have a, a, a ma- my majors in liberal studies, which and the joke is, is I, I majored in minors. Yeah, because <laughs> what you have to do in liberal studies, you still have to pick three areas of specialization. So mine were business administration, um, information systems and theater arts. <laughs> right, so, right, right. And, you know, I just and, and I think back on the, how what a great decision that was for me. Yep. Right at at the time, it really was a great decision to be to be able to to broaden myself out, and you know, and I I, and I learned some stuff from my management classes and 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 all that, and I can remember talking about Drucker and the four P's and uh, d- during my my marketing two hundred one or whatever it was, uh, you know, I took some accounting classes as well, but you know, to this day, I st- I still probably use more of the stuff that I learned in theater on a day in and day out basis, including by the way, talking right now on this radio. Show, right? Yeah, right. Yep. So it's it pretty pretty interesting to see what direction my career went. The other thing I wanted to mention is, as you were talking, I just made a note on this. One of the things I think is really missed, and you 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 were kind enough to mention my my dad earlier and his love of words, and one of the the, the words that I in a couple of years ago was was doing some research on is the word educate, mm. which. Which which means to to draw out, draw out, yeah, right, not right? stuff so in, <laughs> not stuff in, <laughs> yeah. right. And I think that that's that's ultimately the problem right now is that you know educators are not people who draw draw out; they're people whose job it is to stuff stuff in, you know. Yep. Just and, and and process people and you know what we all we we do often talk about the the you know one of the things when we talk about the the the, the shifts in human human evolution and revolution and the industrial revolution and the factory model and how schools are based on the factory model itself that's why they're slow moving factories and kids move you know down the hall and then back down the hall and then they go to the next finishing plant and on to the next thing. Yep. And how damaging that is because it's based on a faulty premise, which is your intellectual ability and curiosity is correlated to the year you were born. Mm-hmm. And it's just complete and total nonsense. And by the way, this is not a knock on gr- the teachers, the great teachers that are out there. And there are lots of them. And the great ones are underpaid. I, I, I completely get that. But it is a knock on the system that they participate in. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, and that's all the way up K through twelve, all the way up into 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 college as well. I think. Ed, there's there's, there, there's one more damage. thing in this book that that, okay, that struck ahead. me. Um, and Ed, sorry, I just I know we're short on time here, but the uh, this is on the effing debate, and he's talking about effectiveness, and you know Drucker drew this distinction between effectiveness and efficiency throughout his life, and and I wanted to get your take. Effectiveness is not a batting average. The number of successes over the number of attempts, rather, effectiveness is a slugging average, actual contribution to the mission of the organization over potential contribution. You know, that's not awesome. a bad, that's not a bad analogy 
It's not a bad analogy, and for lots of reasons, and if we had more time, I'd go into why, but there's even a better statistic that's an example of that. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I, knew it. I knew you'd have something to add to this. I, that's why I wanted to bring it up and get it in, but I really like that. But folks, this is a great book, Drucker's Lost Art of Management. Uh, th- there is timeless uh, principles in here for building effective organizations, and I, I really appreciated them putting this book together because it was something that Drucker did not really define well well in his own writing and these guys really tried to call through and and you know synthesize all of his thinking on it so definitely worth it cool so so what's up uh, next for next week we're going to talk about a pricing topic and that is creating choices ron oh fantastic so how to how to frame and use anchoring and all of those great principles on, on creating options building fences as pricers like to say yep yep and the seven t's to creating choices Excellent. Well, Ed, I look forward to that, and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll be talking about creating choices. In the meantime, please check out thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes on all the books that we talked about today. And also, you can contact Evan and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com or find us on Twitter at hashtag asktsoe. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll see you back here next week. 